Administrative Assistance Day is one that we historically celebrate with our staff each year at our church. I've taken on the role of planning this celebration and recently Googled Administrative Assistance Day to see where this day landed. It was Wednesday, April 27th. Included with this date that Google supplied was a question that caught my eye, and here it is. How do you say thank you meaningfully? Really? Okay, I'll play. General thank you phrases offered by Google. Thank you so much. I appreciate your consideration slash guidance slash help slash time. My sincere appreciation slash gratitude slash thanks. While a sermon on Thanksgiving will be left for another day, I was astounded that someone at Google would have to take time and energy coming up with a list of ways to say thank you. Did Google think that managers in America were that dense? In reading this, I thought, if I have to Google ways to say thank you, I don't know my staff very well. I don't know what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. I might not even be thankful for their efforts. What Googling general thank you phrases displays is a lack of intentionality in your knowledge and in your relationship with your admin. There's a lack of knowledge of your admin if you don't know how to thank them. God is different. He knows us personally, even intimately. And today I want to focus on God's intimate knowledge and love for us, his people. My big idea today is we can trust our God that intimately knows and loves us. I will make this point from Psalm 139, so if you could turn there in your Bibles or your devices. I don't know when I first came across this psalm in my walk with the Lord, but I have this practice of keeping my old Bibles because I can't bear to give them up. There's an ESV Bible from 2009 that has parts of this psalm underlined, so I know it goes back at least 13 years for me. In some way, I feel like I'm introducing you to an old friend of mine. Much of my ministry as a small group leader and now pastor has been one-on-one -on -one conversations, face-to-face -face with someone, and I have relied on Scripture to encourage these folks. Oftentimes in these situations, I've gone to the intimacy and the comfort, the encouragement and the truth of Psalm 139. See, I want you to be acquainted with this truth of God that has touched my heart for so many years. I want you to see God in a new way, to have the truth of Psalm 139 help you grow in your knowledge of God and to have this psalm hidden in your heart to encourage you to strengthen you, and to build your faith. But first, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this is the day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. 
We have rejoiced in song, in worship today. We have rejoiced in prayer. And now, Lord, I pray that using my stammering lips and my limited capabilities, that we would have a greater knowledge and love of you, even though that knowledge and love is limited. Your knowledge and love of us is unlimited. And may we see that in a new way. Bless the preaching of your word today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I will make my three points from this sermon. Number one, God's intimate knowledge of his people. Number two, God's enemies. And number three, God, search me. The bulk of my sermon will be spent on this first point. God's intimate knowledge of his people, of us. Number one, God knows us. Let's go to verses 1 through 4 in Psalm 139. Psalm 139, to the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. That first word searched in verse 1 is a Hebrew word that means to examine intimately. A word used of mining operations, like when miners burrow through a mountain, searching for the gleam of gold. God goes through our hearts, searching our motives and our actions, and he knows who we are. Verse 2, you know when I sit and when I rise up. These are the daily activities of life. You discern my thoughts from afar. God understands my purposes and knows fully my motives. Verse 3, you search out my path and my lying down, more daily activities, and are acquainted with all of my ways, all of them. Verse 4, before a word is on my tongue, oops. Are you getting the picture? An all-knowing, omniscient God overseeing every part of our lives. So here's an exercise for you. Go home and take an inventory of your day yesterday, July 2nd. How were your thoughts yesterday? How were your actions? Any anger or loss of patience with your child? Any lust? Any clicks on an ungodly website? Any shortness with your spouse? Any ungodly driving? you cheat anyone, drink too much, take illegal drugs? So here's the bad news. He knows it all. Even more, if you did none of these things, but a part of you wanted to, he knows that. So this is bad news, but the good news is coming in a few minutes. How about those of us who wondered where God was yesterday? Are you currently in a head-on collision of a trial? Are you currently asking, where is God? Does he really 
No. God knows all. He knows the darkness of your life. Skip down with me to verses 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The light is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Your darkness is not darkness to God. He knows when you can't sleep. He knows when you try to pray, but the words don't come. He knows your broken heart. He knows your loneliness. He knows your grief. And he knows your confusion. If this is you, let's go to verses 5 and 6 and see God's love for you displayed in his protection and his comfort of you. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. This verse 5, you hem me in. One translation says, with your powerful arm, you protect me from every side. Are you wondering where God is? If he really knows your situation? Verse 5 says, he actually has you hemmed in. Now, I'm not a sewer or a crocheter or a knitter. I have no idea about anything about hems. But this is a picture of God holding you. This is a display of God's love expressed in his protection of you and comfort towards you. God has you. He is not letting you go. He has you hemmed in. He will hold you fast. There's a song that we sing called, He Will Hold Me Fast. And while I'm not going to sing it, verse 1 says, When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. God knows you, and God loves you. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful. This hemming in of God leaves David to proclaim that this is just too good to be true. But it is true. God has David hemmed in, protected, and covered. This knowledge is too wonderful for him. David cannot attain it or even understand this. It was another man who had a too wonderful experience with God, and his name was Job. After a severe trial of his, losing his family, his health, his riches, everything this world would deem as important, after all of this, he saw God for who he truly was. Job 42.3 says, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Verse 5 says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Job finally saw God in his trial of a lifetime. 
seeing God transcended Job's suffering. There are some things in this life that are just too wonderful, things too great for us to attain or to understand. This hemming in of us is one of those things. This divine protection and comfort of a loving God is a too wonderful truth for David and can be for us. We can trust our God that intimately knows and loves us. So we have seen that God knows us and that he loves us, but it gets better. God is near to us. Verses 7 through 9 say, Where shall I go from your, your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, where shall I flee from your presence? The answer is nowhere. A few minutes ago, I spoke of a God being all-knowing or omniscient. God overseeing every part of our lives. Verse 7 through 9 says that God is omnipresent or everywhere equally present. He is near to us. Jeremiah 23, 23 through 24 says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not feel heaven and earth, declares the Lord. You see, we cannot remove ourselves from God's presence. We can't hide from him as a child hides from a parent. If we travel upwards to the outer reaches of the galaxy, if we plumb the depths of the sea, God is there. Moving horizontally, if we take the wings of the morning or the farthest east we can travel, or the uttermost parts of the sea. As for Israel, the sea meant the west. God is there. God is near us. This is such comforting news when we are de dealing with a serious trial. God is near. We are not alone. God knows us. He loves us. God is near to us. God also leads us. Look at verse 10. Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right, right hand shall hold me. More hemming in verbiage, but in this case, God is holding us and also leading us. The confusion of life in a trial can leave us stranded. God calls us to follow him in these clouds of confusion. This means that wherever you are is where God wants you to be. God knows you, he loves you, he's near to you, and he leads you. God also created you. Take a look at verses 13 through 15. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You formed me, you knitted me. 
I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm not hidden from you. I'm intricately woven. He not only knows you, he personally formed you. The verbiage of being knitted together and being made in secret, intricately woven, highlights God's creation of each of us individually. When God made you, he truly broke the mold. These words point to a picture of God forming us from conception and creating each of us deep in our mother's womb. We are truly individually made by a loving, creating God. Mankind was God's pinnacle of his creation, and this creation was very good. God created man and woman in his image, and he blessed them. Because you and I are created lovingly, this picture takes abortion out of the political realm. Abortion is not a Republican issue. Abortion is not a Democrat issue. Biblically speaking, God lovingly crafted each human. Each person is his artistic work, and this creation is valued greatly by God. Now, if there was a time when you didn't value this life as God did, he offers forgiveness and mercy for you out of his great love for you. God is also sovereign over us. Let's look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How does God use his knowledge of us? He puts us in the ideal place in life, in redemptive history. This means that he will place you where you need to be for your good. Just as God created you, he also wrote each day of your life before you were even born. Michael Wilcox says he, God, was creating. And he was creating not only life, but a life. In the astonishing words from verse 16, from the embryo, right through all the days ordained for me, not just from birth to death, but from conception to death. A human life is God's handiwork. God knows us. He loves us. Is near to us. Leads us. Created us. And is sovereign over us. At this point, our songwriter David breaks out in praise. Verses 17 and 18 say, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. How precious, how vast! David responds to this by breaking into praise. Notice the exclamation points at the end of each sentence in verse 17. The thought of God's intimate knowledge and love of David causes an explosion of praise to God. That, David would that God would have such an intentionality in every aspect of David's life is beyond what he can comprehend. The second verse, second verse of verse 18 says, I awake and I am still with you. Gives us a glimpse into eternity. After David's death in Scripture, 
also known as sleep, David will awaken to find that he is still in the presence of God. Even in death, God will be with us. He will usher all Christians into eternity with him. As I close out this first point of God's knowledge and intimate love for for his people, for us, do you see this? Psalm 139 does some of its best work in the quiet of a hospital room, read and prayed over a Christian with the diagnosis of cancer. It brings comfort to a person whose soul is drained by trial, whose faith is weakened by the death of a dear family member. It is the spiritual cozy blanket that warms us against the cold and bitter brokenness of this world. It is a gift from God given to help us on our journey to the celestial city. This blanket will one day be shed and discarded when we go to be with God and see Jesus face to face. Then the warm glow of his complete love and joy and peace will comfort us. Until then, pick up this spiritual blanket often to warm your soul. We can trust our God that intimately knows us and loves us. Point number two, God's enemies. Verses 19 through 22 say, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak lies against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. David, now fully assured of God's knowledge of himself and great love for him, turns his heart to those who are opposed to God. Simply put, David hates those who hate God. There's God and there's the devil. There's light, and there's darkness. There's good, and there's evil. Pick your side. David did, and his lot was with the Lord. Since God has enemies, so too does David. What about you? you have any people in your life who are opposed to you due to your faith in God? Any co-workers who verbally demean you because you're a Christian and living a lifestyle that is different from theirs? Any friends who have canceled your friendship due to your witnessing of Jesus to them? Maybe you have family members who won't speak to you anymore because of your faith. Since God knows you, he knows of these circumstances. He knows your heartache in these areas. Call out to the one who loves you most to lead you in this area. He also knows your worst enemy, the devil. As Christians, we are fully opposed by the one who hates God most. We will be harassed by the evil one until we go to be with God. And while this is true, 1 John 4, 4 says, For he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in us. Jesus is greater than he who is in the world, the devil. 
You see, ever since our first parents gave into the temptation of the serpent and all were cast out of the Garden of Eden, the devil has been tempting mankind to follow him and turn their backs on God. The devil declared war on God using mankind as his tools of war. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born to a virgin, who lived a perfect life, fully obedient to his father, died a criminal's death on the cross for the sins of all Christians, and was raised from the dead on the third day. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father where he intercedes for us in our daily battle with the devil. This one, the all-powerful one who overcame death, is the one who is greater than the devil. This one, the one who knows us, who loves us, is near to us, leads us, created us, and is sovereign over us, is the one you can turn to when any enemy comes calling. While we're talking about enemies, there's one more we should probably discuss. Our sin. Not your spouse's sin. Not your kid's sin. Your sin. My sin. Our individual sin. Let's see how we can defeat this very personal, personal enemy with Psalm 139. And this leads to my last point. God, search me. This is a request of David. Verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Try me and know my thoughts. Search me. Any grievous way in me? David wants God to search him. And this was not the only time that David asked this. Psalm 26, 2 says, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. David asked to be tested by God multiple times. This was an ordinary part of his life. Is this a part of yours? Remember my suggestion to take an inventory of your day yesterday, July 2nd. How were your thoughts yesterday? How were your actions? Any anger or loss of patience with your child? Any clicks on an ungodly website? Any shortness with your spouse? And so on. Our sin is an enemy to God. It has an effect on our relationship with God. It hurts others. It is always with us. When we regularly ask God to search our hearts, the Holy Spirit will help us by convicting us of our failures. We can then bring these to God, the one who fully knows us anyway, and ask for forgiveness. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we just need to ask for forgiveness and God will cleanse us from our sin. And that is how we battle the enemy of sin. 
So some application this morning. Maybe you're here and you would not identify as a Christian. First of all, thank you for coming to church. It's an intimidating place to be, but I, I hope you found Center Church welcoming. For the members of this church, we were all visitors one day. If you don't know Jesus, I would guess that you're searching. Searching for your purpose in life. Searching for peace in your heart. Looking for the perfect job or maybe that perfect person that will fill your life. Maybe you've tried all the world has to offer. If so, my guess is that you have not found lasting peace and joy. This can only be found in Jesus. Before I was a Christian, my life was empty and I was weary. I was disappointed with life. The world could not satisfy me. When Jesus called me to himself, I found all I needed and more. My soul was satisfied. If you can relate to any of this, come see me after the service or talk to a Christian you know. There's a God that knows you and he loves you. He's near to you and he created you. Please, please turn to his son Jesus and receive grace and mercy today. What about the Christians in the room? You now know Psalm 139. So what are you going to do with it? If I ask you how your life is going today and you say, life is good, praise God. Think of Psalm 39 like that kitchen drawer that you have at home that has everything in it. Your scotch tape, your pens, the key that unlocks the lock in the backyard. Keep it in that kitchen drawer for when you need it, when you can take it out for a trial. A few months ago, I was preparing for this sermon, and I had a day where I walked into a meeting, and I had that meeting all figured out. I knew what I was going to say. And two minutes into it, there was a hard right turn. I was taken off guard. After that, I had three conversations with people I love, hard conversations. The wind was taken out, taken out of my sails, and it wasn't even lunchtime yet. It affected my day. It affected my sleep the night after that. And in the morning, I sat down with the Lord, and I was trying to figure out how to process all of this. And when I asked him, he said, you care for others with Psalm 139 care for yourself. So I turned to one, Psalm 139, verse 1. I didn't get any farther. said, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. God knows. That was enough. It was enough that God knew of where I was and that filled me again and I was able to go on. So maybe... Maybe you can use Psalm 139. Pull that out when you have a trial that you need. There might be some of you here that if I asked you and I said, how's your life? You'd say, life is not so good. 
in that case, think of it like your keys. When I leave the house in the morning to drive here, I check my pockets for the keys. And when I leave church to drive home at night, I do the same thing. Think of Psalm 139 like your keys. Maybe you have to check in a couple times a day with this for encouragement. There's one more group. <clears throat> if I asked you how life was today, you might say, life is bad. Life is hard. Are you desperate? Are you weak? Is your strength sapped? Are you ready to give up or give in? Psalm 139 operates like your cell phone. It's always near. You never leave home without it. When you drive, it's in your car. When you shop, it's in your pocket. When you sleep at night, it's on your nightstand. In fact, if I were to take it away from you, it'd probably be like cutting off an arm. Psalm 139, when life is bad, can operate in your life multiple times a day to encourage you that God loves you, that he knows you, that he's near, that he has a plan for your life, that he's sovereign over you. We can trust our God that intimately knows and loves us. To conclude, as a small group leader and as a pastor, I've had the privilege to be with people in this church done during some of their most difficult trials. Psalm 139 has served me in these times to encourage others and, as you saw, to encourage myself. I actually preached this sermon about three weeks ago in our sister church in Yuma, Arizona. When I told Ramon Flores, a pastor there, that I wanted to bring Psalm 139 to encourage their church, he called Psalm 139 one of his dearest companions. I could not agree more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it does not go away void but always does the work that you intend. Father, I thank you for Psalm 139. I thank you that you inspired David to write this, that this was from your hand to encourage David, but not only David, to encourage your church, generations of people that are looking to you, that await the final day when you come, Jesus. Lord, would this word be implanted in the hearts of all of us to be able to encourage us and give us hope. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for those who are here. I thank you for those who are watching on live stream. And I ask your blessing on their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.